0: Lock Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday.
1: Their hearts and understand That I Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. It's a beautiful day here in Minnesota. I don't know what it's looking like where you are, but I sure am enjoying the summer weather. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, a resource website, blog, and radio, and the Shifting Your Dementia Care Culture webinar series. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them all to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, who is the founder of Memory People, might pop in today. I never quite know if Rick will be available or not. Rick was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease back in June of 2010. And he has created this wonderful support group on uh, Facebook. If you're not familiar with it, I highly encourage you to check it out. Just put in memory people in the search bar and ask to be invited into the group. It's a closed group full of great resources, and it's really about real people connecting and building a community of those that understand the disease. There's no pitching or selling It's just real heartfelt um, and good information from those in the trenches. We feel here at Alzheimer's Speaks that we have to work together collaboratively to shift caregiving from crisis to comfort, and that is one of the things that I enjoy the most about my job is being able to interview people with dementia, people personally caring for people with dementia, and then those professionals, who are striding hard and strong to make improvements in the world of dementia. And so today we've got a wonderful guest for you, Marlene Schoenberg. And if you have any questions at all, I would um, love to hear from you. You can communicate to me through the chat box if you signed in via Facebook, or you can call in live at 714 364 Again, that number is 714 364 4757. You can also uh, like this episode or email it to a friend, or if you don't have time to be with us the whole time, come back and listen to us later. All the shows are archived. And, um, you know, we're here to be a resource for you. If you've got ideas of what you would like to hear next, um, give me a jingle. So today's show is called Swallowing Safely and Lifestyle Choices. And when I talked with Marlene, I was shocked at the information that she has to share with us. Now, I've been in healthcare care um, and dealing with the senior market for over 30 years, and this woman is absolutely phenomenal. So I want to give you a little background about her, and then we'll just jump right into some questions, and again, if you've got questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Marlene um, Schoenberg is a speech and language pathologist and swallowing therapist, and she has been for over 30 years. She's a personal colleague of mine with the National Speakers Association and is also president of Ethnic Communication Arts in St. Paul, Minnesota. Marlene was the first speech and language pathologist at St. John's Hospital in Maplewood, Minnesota. She brought the first swallowing therapy conference to the Twin Cities in the early 80s. I didn't even know there was such a thing, so I think that's so cool. And it was 30 years ago. She received her bachelor's degree from the um, City College of New York in speech and language pathology and her master's degree from Boston University in communication disorders. She is certified by the American Speech and Hearing Association and the state of Minnesota, and she was recently honored to receive the Spirit Award from the Minnesota Speech and Hearing Association. Marlene has consulted for several um, years for several different types of um, companies and services from adult day to home health care to housing and more. She worked on the role of speech and language pathologists in uh, the adult day health, and that was presented in San Francisco. And she has also taken classes with really well-known swallowing experts uh, Jerry Lynn uh, Lokman Peter Johnson and Bonnie Martin in addition to swallowing and aphasia therapy Marlene has provided accent modification coaching coaching for international physicians and healthcare care physicians for three years Marlene and her husband took care of her dad who had um, multi um, infect um, dementia. And so she has some really unique credentials that she's bringing to the to the forefront for us and um you know enriched her life so greatly taking care of her dad in his final years. So welcome Marlene, how are you doing today?
0: Thank you, good morning. I'm doing great. Great to be here.
1: Well, I am so excited to have this show because when we met, I was just blown away with all the information that you have regarding swallowing, and, and excuse me, I sound like I need help swallowing this morning, and the things that you can really bring to the table to help people, and so many are simple techniques. I, I was just, I had never thought of the things um, that I know you're going to share with us today, so thank you for taking the time to be with us today. So why don't we go ahead and get started. Um, you know, based on your experience and your expertise as a swallowing therapist, you know, what's what message would you really like our listeners to hear loud and clear from you?
0: Well, caregivers know their loved one, they know their patterns, they know what they like, they don't they know what they dislike. They need time for eating. It takes time. That personal relationship is so important. And how can caregivers reduce their stress by understanding their beliefs about food? and understanding best practices for swallowing uh, carrying out swallowing therapy that's recommended by their speech pathologists and their physicians. I, I want to start with a quote from Julia Childs. She said, It's fun to get together to have something good to eat at least once a day. I'll move into Julia's voice. That's what human life is all about, enjoying things. And in the background, I can hear myself telling my dad, Dad, don't spit on the table. Use your napkin. So each person has their own set of behaviors, swallowing issues that that come up, and knowing more about what we can do as caretakers and how we work together as a team with professionals really matters because you want to be able to give your loved one options at the level that they're at, you understand what their limits are, and finding as many different varieties of things at that level that they can eat and that they enjoy eating. In a little while, we'll talk about the National Dysphagia Diet Levels, because this knowledge is essential, and we'll talk about some creative approaches to food preparation, again, within those limits. Your goal is to find opportunities to give your loved ones some acceptable choices. Eating is such a social activity. And if somebody was used to going out and going out to eat and going out and visiting, it's really so difficult for them with some of their swallowing issues. And how can we balance following safe swallowing techniques in a social setting? And as I was thinking about this, I thought about the song, If I knew you were coming, I'd have baked a cake, baked a cake, baked a cake. And so I want to add my own verse. If I knew you were coming, I'd have had puree, pudding, too, and souffle. So if you understand the textures that your loved one can eat well, there are so many creative things you could do and let people know that that's what's okay for them to eat. Well, that's wonderful. How did
1: you actually get involved in swallowing therapy? Because I I never really, I've never heard of it as a therapy. But to me, as a as a an adult child who's got a mom in end stages, and I know right now she's still able to swallow. Every now and then she'll forget, but Mm -hmm. you know that just makes so much sense to me. Um, Just that verbiage, I wouldn't think of going to you know a language pathologist. To get that kind of information. And so, um, is that um, a category you kind of made up, or is there an actual swallowing therapy per se?
0: Well, it's under the jurisdiction of the speech pathologist. Our degrees in the past said speech language pathology, but we have added swallowing to our list of skills our list of skills that we can provide our patients. And there is a special uh, group of swallowing specialists in the Minnesota Speech and Hearing Association that, who, have some, who have experience, who are interested in continuing to learn more, continuing to do research. And I, I came across the term swallowologist, and I thought, <laughs> okay. That's me. I'm a swallowologist. But I want to spend a minute talking about terms because the term for swallowing difficulties is dysphagia or dysphagia, and aphasia is a language difficulty, and dysphagia is a kind of aphasia or language difficulty. So we tend to pronounce the issue as dysphagia in related to swallowing. You asked me before about where I, um, how I got started in swallowing therapy and I have to tell you that I grew up in New York City and my grandmother lived with us, but you know what, years later I figured out that we really lived with her. When I came home from school there were no less than eight elderly neighbors sitting in my living room and I thought that was just the norm. Years later, when I started working in adult day activity centers, I realized I grew up in an adult day activity center before that even existed. My grandmother was a phenomenal cook, and I found out that she cooked different things for different people because some had dental problems and can only eat soft food. And then when she was older... In her last years, she had a physical therapist, and this physical therapist came and cooked some special pudding for her. And I thought, this is a real service. This is something that gets to the heart of helping people eat because eating is so steeped in culture and in traditions and religion and later on I'll talk more about some of the uh, ethnic aspects of different food and looking at swallowing skills but getting back to my story about how I arrived at doing swallowing therapy when I first came to Minnesota I was sent to the curative workshop in Milwaukee to learn about swallowing issues with children with cerebral palsy and then later on I took those concepts of how to position a person for their best swallowing skills. What kinds of textures can they eat with the specific um, skills or problems that they're having? And then I started using that at some of the nursing facilities where I was the speech pathologist. I remember some of my early clients. I learned so much from those early clients. (laughs) I'm thinking back to a time when one of the nursing home residents that I worked with was so upset when I tried to give her some soup. I was trying to, to feed her the soup, and she was just indignant. No, no, no. She didn't have a lot of language skills. But I did a little detective work, and I found out that she preferred her soup in a cup because then she was able to handle it. Now, my issue was that I needed to make sure that the soup was a consomme or it was a little bit thicker, that it didn't have chunk, chunks of stringy celery in there. So that was, that was one person that I remember. Another person was mad at me any time I offered her anything to eat. And I was trying to figure out, what is going on here? And then I... We took a break from the meal, because she was so frustrated, and we took a walk outside, and I was pushing her wheelchair, and then the wind blew, and I saw the same reaction as when I gave her a different food. So her reaction had nothing to do with food at all. When, if it took, when, when the wind blew, anything minor would set her off. There was another patient I had who had com- very poor comprehension, in addition to her dementia, and all she could say was, 3-3-3. Three, 3? Three, three. Three? Three, three, 3 She had intonation, but didn't really have any words. But yet, she was able to imitate when I showed her how to pick up the spoon, how to pick up the cup. So if I worked with her non-verbally, she was picking up the structure and the sequence of how to eat. That's I've, fantastic,
1: I'm, those... Those little stories and and putting on that detective hat, slowing down, and really looking for why are they reacting is so critical with anybody with dementia. Um, But basically, anybody we're dealing with at all, because there's always a reason for the reaction, and um, it's often not us.
0: Yeah, it's often not us.
1: (laughs) Well, but a lot of times it's us that triggers it, you know, and we can make changes. Like with um putting the soup in a cup uh, in a in a cup so she could hold it versus the bowl. Um those are those are simple things um that we can adjust to. So I, I love I love these little um tidbits that you're giving us along the way here. So um I didn't mean to interrupt, so I know I did. So I'll let you That's go okay. ahead and get back. So
0: That's okay. Um I'll take this moment to talk about a few statistics and I know It's very important, Um, I'm talking about from the skilled care facility or the short-term care facility, the nurses are constantly checking people's weight to make sure that they're not losing weight. And as you might know, a significant weight loss is 7.5% of the total weight in three months or 10% in six months. There are 10 million people in the United States with some form of dysphagia, some form of swallowing difficulty. If we think about nursing home residents or people who are in short-term care, 50% of those people have Alzheimer's or some form of dementia, and 40 to 65% have chewing and swallowing problems, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe. Now, I can jump off from that figure and think about people who are living at home, people who are living at assisted living, or people who have pretty good health but are in memory care, they might experience mild to moderate swallowing difficulties and need assistance, either from a staff person or from somebody in their family. You know, I look back to my dad's um living with us, and I remember his last Thanksgiving. And he ate that meal so well. And I'll tell you a little bit more later on about what happened after that.
1: Okay, that'll be great. Can you um, share with us a little bit about <clears throat> how families can accommodate loved ones um, that have this this dysphagia? You know, at holiday meals, because that's just such a big, important time where we all want to get together and nobody wants to see things change, but yet there needs to be some adjustments made um, to make sure that people are safe um, because, you know, we're going to eat and there's going to be food around, um, but we've got to have correct options for people.
0: It's true. And I think about the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving Um, painting that he did with happy people sitting around the table, but the reality is less often less than ideal. But if you think about Thanksgiving for somebody who has um, mild or moderate swallowing difficulties and I'll go, later I'll go into some of the different swallowing difficulties that occur. But let's think about some of the foods. Now, you're not going to let A person with dysphagia grab that turkey drumstick and start gnawing that could be that could be a a difficult problem but let's think of some other foods that might work mashed potatoes with gravy perfect that's a dysphagia dysphagia one diet very very good sweet potato pie mmm that really works Again, it's a good texture. Even pumpkin pie is is wonderful because it's it's almost like a a gelled puree. Now, salad is not recommended on that diet. And some of my clients who have been health health buffs their whole life requested that their salad be pureed and it just wasn't appetizing to look at. So, a better way to have vegetables is the pressure cooker pressure cooker is a wonderful way to cook vegetables very soft making sure that there are no there's no skin there are no seeds but something like carrots are wonderful in the pressure cooker let's think about cranberry sauce if your traditional cranberry sauce always has little pieces of those cranberries with skin that's a no-no That's going to create problems. But if your traditional cranberry sauce or your option, remember we want to think about options, is the the more jellied cranberry sauce, that's just fine. So you have to look at your own holiday traditions and what's important to your family. If you always eat peanut butter brittle at Christmas, it's time to start a new tradition because that's not going to work with somebody with swallowing problems. I there was a situation where somebody always had popcorn when he watched the Vikings game. And it was it was a, a contraindicative to the recommendations that we made and we had to do some teamwork and and work around that, but that's something that often we, we do not recommend somebody with swallowing problems eating popcorn. Definitely unsupervised.
1: Well, Marlene, you had said you know no salads, and I know you were referring to a vegetable. But a lot of times at holidays, people will have like Jello salads, but then they might have fruit or something like that in them. Is there a way that they can make a, a Jello salad and maybe puree the fruit in it so it would be safer?
0: Good question. I like your concept of pureeing the fruit, but jello is deceiving because there are two recommendations that speech and and swallowing therapists make. We make one recommendation for solid foods or puree, and we make another recommendation for liquids. Now, if somebody cannot handle thin liquids because their muscles are not strong enough or they don't feel it going down their throat, that thin liquid can go into into the trachea and create some uh aspiration pneumonia which is what we want to avoid. Now, I cannot give advice. I cannot talk about um I cannot diagnose over the phone or on the radio. But jello is a misconception because in essence it's liquid. So if you wanted to puree some fruit again without seeds without skin and freeze it and put a stick in it it would make a perfect popsicle and we know it's not just water it's the, it's really fruit
1: okay okay now you had mentioned, and, and this again, I I feel so naive for being in the business as long as I've been, but I I guess I just have not dealt with this personally, and I haven't really dug into it. But one of the comments you had made was, or if they can't feel the food, I didn't even think of that being a problem, but that could be a huge problem if they can't feel what's going down. They're able to swallow, but they yeah, they can't right. they can't you know. So is there a term for that? When people can't feel it going down?
0: Well, if, if they have some kind of nerve damage to some of the trigeminal nerves, and it's a combination of a lack of sensation and a lack of strength in the muscles. So when we look at the video fluoroscopy studies, and anybody who has a dysphagia problem will well, I wouldn't say anybody, but they are frequently be referred to a hospital for a video fluoroscopy study. It's a moving x-ray where we can follow the food uh, down. It's coated with barium, and we can follow where the food might be getting stuck or where the liquid might be moving into areas um, closer to that might be going into the lung. so this is what we can see and i took a fantastic uh, course a couple of months ago with bonnie martin and she has done some excellent research making some of those video fluoroscopies into animations and uh, people in my field are studying these to be able to give very specific information to families, and what I learned in that course was that we can't see the base of the tongue. I'm always doing a lot of tongue exercises with the tongue tip sticking out the tongue, pulling it back, but what we're really trying to strengthen is the base of the tongue because that's what moves back to to protect, to protect the airway, to protect the um, – it, it's a valving action. And actually, the next – thing that I want to talk about is what goes on with swallowing. Yeah, that would be good to know. (laughs) It's something that we take for granted. Um, Babies babies in good health do it as soon as they're born. It's like speaking. We don't often think about how we do it. But let me just take you through the different parts of the swallow. And some of you might have seen that movie back in the 60s, The incredible journey I think Raquel Welsh was in it and they shrunk the people into a very tiny size and they went in a little capsule in through the body so if you will take a moment to imagine that you're inside a capsule the first part is the person's lips are moving And there's automatic coordination of 20 muscles just to swallow. The saliva moistens the food. Now, if there's too much saliva and right-sided weakness or the head is turned to the right, you're going to get drooling. If there's not enough saliva because perhaps you're taking some medications that dries your mouth, again, you're missing a very important moisturizer for your mouth. Let's talk about the next step. So then, now we're going through and we see what the tongue is doing. You're like riding a roller coaster, that's the tongue. The tongue moves the food back and the tongue tip sweeps out spaces. And so often if somebody is having difficulty with moving their tongue or they forget to move their tongue, they will have pockets of food in their cheeks. And I am always encouraging the nursing assistants of patients I work with to do very good oral cares and not, number one, not to put them down um, for a nap until a half hour after eating. We We want gravity to do its work and to make sure that there's very good or a cleaning because we don't want a little particle from the back again to go to literally go down the wrong pipe okay so we have the tongue that moves the food back then the swallowing reflex is triggered now some people might have a very sensitive gag reflex and it might be triggered just when when you touch their tooth or the front of their mouth the dentists know about that so the the trigger The swallowing reflex is triggered, and then the food passes through the pharynx, which is the back of the throat. And then there's an interesting little structure called the epiglottis. The epiglottis, and that's something a lot of people don't know about, the epiglottis covers the trachea. So every time you eat, it automatically covers the trachea and lets the food Slip down into the esophagus or the food tube. Isn't that amazing?
1: Yeah, it really is. All the different parts that take place. And it's, I mean, like you said, we take it for granted. It's like breathing or talking or moving. I mean, we
0: just, it it just happens. Sure. And And then the food is carried into the esophagus carried through the esophagus, and it's carried into the stomach. And there could be problems with swallowing, with people with dementia, with Alzheimer's who've had a stroke, at any point in this process. And there are different uh, solutions and and different options, different exercises um, that we do, depending on where the specific swallowing problem takes place
1: okay so that that makes a lot of a lot of sense now you had also um mentioned you know eating out is is kind of a regular basis for many of us and I think you know for me socially, I'm always going out to eat you know out or out for a cocktail or hors d'oeuvres or happy hour or dinner or breakfast i mean half my meetings are over food or drink. And, you know, for me personally, if I end up, you know, having a swallowing problem, be it through potential dementia or a stroke or, I mean, there's all different kinds of things that can cause this, you know, how how family members and friends deal with that to still be able to have you be part of the group and not left out because you're, you're going out and, and using the excuse that you don't have control over what is offered?
0: yes that's that's a really good question, and I think it depends a lot on the personality of the person who has who has the swallowing problem and what their usual routines were and If somebody met his buddies every week at the coffee shop or went out every week with with relatives those those people are really going to miss going out to eat and Here's what I suggest that uh that people do, that you need to check out the restaurant beforehand. Try not to go to new places. If someone is in a wheelchair, you have to make sure that it's accessible. We had this issue when a friend of mine uh, was in a wheelchair because both of her legs were broken in a car accident, and I checked out a few places before we decided where her birthday party was going to be. Also, if somebody is very sensitive to noise, you need to make sure that there's a quiet spot. And I encourage people to go at off times. Not on the holiday, not July 4th. Go July 5th. Not exactly at dinner time at 6 o'clock. Go at 4.30, so that if it's a little quiet quieter, that can help the person concentrate on their swallowing. Then sometimes... It's a a source of embarrassment to strangers, that they don't want strangers to see them um, drooling or not being able to eat. But again, it depends on the personality of the person, because if going out to eat is important to them, they might have to make some concessions. And the, the caregiver, whether it's a person's wife or husband or daughter or son, needs to talk to the wait staff beforehand they need to find things that are on the menu that are appropriate for that person's swallowing skill level and i was looking up some julia child <laughs> recipes and at some french restaurants served um uh, pate chicken liver pate and that would be very good for somebody on a puree diet okay <laughs> well, and so, and so here's here's another quote from Julia. She says, "You find yourself refreshed by the presence of cheerful people. Why not make an honest effort to confer that pleasure on others? Half the battle is gained if you never allow yourself to say anything gloomy." And then, the the person with the with a swallowing problem or dementia might say, God damn, who stole my teeth? Mm. So, you know, we have different levels of embarrassment. And I think (laughs) if you have a family member with dysphagia, your level of embarrassment has to change if you're going to function in public. And you know the behaviors of that particular person and you know your tolerance level. But other people might not have the same tolerance level, and you have to balance, is is it is it worth it? But if it's so important to that person to go out, that might trump everything else.
1: Now, <clears throat> do you recommend calling ahead of time versus waiting until you get there to find out these options? Definitely. Okay, I, Definitely. I would think that that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I know a lot of people do that just when they're on a, you know, any kind of diet, and so we shouldn't mm-hmm. be embarrassed about that. The other mm-hmm. thing I'm I'm wondering, and I don't know if this would be helpful or maybe this is done, but I know with um, memory loss, uh, you know, the Alzheimer's Association, and I know our Memory Cafe has them and, and, and other services do too, but there's just a little card, and they're they're printed two different ways. One is for the person with the problem just to hand it to somebody to let them know what their problem mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um or or the other is for a caregiver to discreetly just show them. So if they're looking at a menu so that the person might be able to recommend something different. Have you heard of anything like that for swallowing issues? I would Excellent. Think that, that might be something um a nice little tool and it's it's easy to make up. <laughs> Looks like a business card and um could even just be held right on a menu, you know, if you're you know asking uh, the wait staff something and just kind of point to the card for recommendations without having to point it out specifically.
0: That's so fantastic. Awesome.
1: Okay. Have you, yeah, have you heard of, of anything like I, that being used?
0: No, I haven't heard about it. And when I've done research, I realize my thinking is more advanced than some of, some of the other materials out there because I see people who are in the short-term care facility in the dining room. So I might be working with one patient, and there are other people in the dining room, and this is a really important first step for them to eat eat in public, eat around people who they don't know. And I've been thinking a lot about how to um, involve people in conversation, how to have people ask for what they need, and a card is the perfect way to do it. But there's another piece about socializing and eating if you have dysphagia. Some of my patients have more difficulty when they're trying to swallow and trying to talk at the same time because they don't have a sensitive sequencing of the swallowing and breathing and talking. And what I'm recommending is to have a period of time for talking and separate that and have a period of time for eating. And sometimes it involves eating at home and then coming and being social with your friends. And sometimes it involves bringing your own food. And... Restaurants often don't like this, but if you call them ahead of time and say that this is very important for them to come and eat at this familiar restaurant, I think, I think they will accommodate because you're bringing a group of people. Now, sometimes a group is too much stimulation. So maybe to just go to a restaurant with one or two other people It depends on the person, and it depends on their skills and their needs.
1: Yeah, and I would think it would be easier to not talk as a small group, you know, of one or two, um, versus a large group to keep them all quiet and not talking during a meal would almost be abnormal (laughs) in in, in my group. You know, it would be a really difficult thing to control, and um, so it might be harder for the person um, to to be able to feel like they're fitting in and can be right. part, and right. so maybe those smaller groups. And a lot of times with a person with dementia, a large group is just gets difficult anyways because they they can't filter out all of the the noises and the phrases of who is saying what when, and um, so that that makes a lot of a lot of sense. Um, and, and, and again, that was another thing. I never, it, it never really occurred to me. And again, I, I haven't had experience, hands-on experience with it. But just to not talk and eat—that's just such a normal thing. Not that I talk with my mouth full all the time, <laughs> but I mean that's just something as a society we do. You know, we talk no. over a meal, and mm-hmm. um, so it really is a new, a new way to train ourselves to think, and um, you know, we can. It, it's easily accommodating, um, you know. Once once we know that that can really right. help a person, I mean, it's just something again. I personally wouldn't have necessarily thought of until talking to you. So I appreciate you bringing these things uh, to life. Um, well, no,
0: another, it's, uh-huh. can, can I just make one more point here? It's something sure. that I test when my when my patients improve. I want to see how they handle that and I know that they've gotten much better if they can sit and eat and have a normal conversation between bites and that to me is a sign of great progress.
1: Okay, which which makes a lot of which makes a lot of sense. Now, um we had also talked previously about some lifestyle and food personality patterns, you know, to take into consideration. Um, when it comes to swallowing safely. Can you expand on that a little bit more?
0: Yes. What I did was I decided to make some lists of eating personalities, and I gave them different names. So if you think about the person's general personality and their relationship with food, some people are gourmet cooks or gourmet eaters. Some people call themselves foodies, and food is so important to them. Some people live to eat, and some people eat to live. And so let's take a look at some different personalities. The first one I call Seafood Seymour. My father-in-law always said he was on a seafood diet. He ate everything he saw. So this person just likes to eat everything and anything. Then the second personality I'm calling Traditional Tom. Certain foods only go with certain foods and certain situations and certain times of the day and certain holidays, and if that's what they're used to, it's much harder for them to make the adaptations that they need. And they're especially upset when disrupting, when their routine is disrupted. So coffee must be at 10, exactly at 10. But that's often difficult and they have to make a big transition to learn how to adapt to their current swallowing level but i want to talk about coffee because it seems so common that people go out for coffee with their friends starbucks and and all the other coffee shops caribou have proliferated and if they they cannot drink thin liquids because they are um uh, are at risk for aspiration, this is a problem. So I'm thinking there should be something at Starbucks where they could make a coffee mocha parfait for anybody who has swallowing difficulties with coffee. And this way they can have this wonderful pudding, they can eat it while their friends are drinking coffee, and they can follow their swallowing therapist's recommendation.
1: Well, that's, you know, it would be nice if we were more um, dementia-friendly or just, you know, disability-friendly in, you know, in all businesses. And we really are so naive and not well-educated at all. I mean, we find out through crisis typically. Um, I know. If if it hits personally within our own walls at home or if it's one of our friends um, and then a few of us through work, But, I mean, we just are not um, very engaged with people's needs here in the U.S. as far as I'm concerned as a whole. Um, We have a lot of organizations doing a lot of different things, but we don't seem to be working together um, because, you know, I've got you on the show because of dementia. But needless to say, you don't have to have dementia to be having a swallowing problem. That goes across the board and could hit many people for many different reasons. And, um, you know, we need to kind of get these things to bubble to the top, and we need to educate everybody on these right. things um, and right. be more compassionate.
0: So again, exactly. I,
1: I thank you I so have much a, for your time, you know, in, in terms of helping us raise awareness um, with this, again, not just for people with dementia, but others as well. So
0: Exactly. I have a couple of other eating personalities, if I, I may continue. Sure somebody um who doesn't eat much we could call this person like a birdie some she always just eats very little and just picks at her food and that's going to be a person who has more difficulties when the options are more limited i talked before about the person who is always on a diet and like fresh fruit fruit and fresh vegetables dieting denny he has to be redirected to the new diet and then there's Fussy Francis. The table must be set perfectly. Certain foods only go together with other foods. If the food isn't cooked exactly as she likes it, she will complain to the waiter. And then there's who I'll call Life for the Party Louis, My dad's name was Louis. He loved to eat out. He loved to laugh. He loved to talk with friends. And his... Dysphagia didn't come until the very end of his life, so he was lucky that he was always able to be able to, um, to enjoy a meal out because that was really important, important to him. Once, when he lived in Minnesota, as I said, he was from New York originally, he told me, he said, Marlene, I want to go to the Colonial Diner. I said, Dad, the Colonial Diner is in New Jersey. He said, "I don't care. I like the waitresses there." <laughs> and sometimes the sense of of reality and sense of reasoning is off. But he liked to go where he liked the people. So I had to figure out a way to to tell him in his own world that he really couldn't. So I said, "Dad, you can't go to New York because there's a taxi strike." And there was always a taxi strike. <laughs> frequently in New York City when I was growing up there, he said, Oh, okay. So that that settled him down that he he couldn't go because there was a taxi strike. But I had to get into his world to present a logical a logical situation.
1: Well and again we all want to go where we're comfortable. I mean exactly. so no different than the rest of us. But for some exactly. reason we we sometimes think people are different and that their basic needs really are no different than our own and and learning to appreciate and, that and understand that and how to work with that can make such a big big difference in their life and in ours
0: that's true that's true and and sometimes and I'll talk about medications in a little while but but I want to mention one point remember I talked about uh, a dry mouth sometimes that we need saliva well, sometimes some medications create a loss of appetite. And if they're given if a patient is given puree just like slop on the plate and it's not appetizing, that visual is the first part of getting the the saliva and the uh the juices flowing for eating. So what I have done in fact, I just did this last week. I had a patient who was rejecting her puree it wasn't presented in the best possible way but that had to do with time and um, and the staff but what I did was I cut an orange right in front of her and I had her smell it as I peeled it and I had her look at it and it really made a difference in stimulating her senses And then I was able to give her some pudding. And she ate a little bit, and she wouldn't have eaten anything if I didn't stimulate those senses. Even the presentation of the food, and I discovered this many years ago, that if you take the same pureed food that might be flat flowing on a plate and you put it in a parfait dish or an ice cream dish, all of a sudden there's a different visual presence. The presentation makes a difference. Well, definitely. So these are things to keep to keep in mind. Definitely. To keep that that that
1: makes I mean, to makes a big difference for me, you know,
0: and why wouldn't it sure. somebody else, you know? Sure. Imagine time. going on vacation. Imagine going on vacation and you've gotten lost in a third world country and you're off the beaten track and you're hungry so you go to some small restaurant and they serve some brown goop in front of you. What's your first reaction? Not not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is this? Yeah. Let's is that what I here. ordered? Okay. That's not what I ordered. And yeah. then you might even ask yourself, why me? Why am I... Why am I getting this? But then maybe they say it's good for you. It'll protect you from the tsetse fly or something in their culture that they know that that's good. But already you've lost your appetite, yeah. and so presentation really makes a huge difference. A huge difference.
1: So how do how do you make you know how do you present something pureed that looks attractive? Because I mean, I go to my mom's nursing home all the time, and, you know, I mean, what can you really do with that?
0: You know, there are some some very good products that are on my reference list, and they're thickening agents. Different. There are several different companies that provide it, and there's one organization called Dysphagia Diet, and they have a wonderful video that I reviewed recently they talked about adding some thickener to the puree and scooping it in balls. So imagine an ice cream sundae dish with three balls of three different colors and a little bit of gravy drizzled on it, and it makes it much more appealing. The other thing that they had on there that was really wonderful that I never thought of before was they had they put the puree in a pastry bag. And for somebody who... Um, Liked spaghetti, they just they squeezed it out and it looked like spaghetti and tomato sauce. Hmm. So they, there are some real creative things that people can do if they know what's available to them. Okay,
1: okay. Well, that makes sense. Were you finished with your personality patterns? I know I got us off track a couple of times there.
0: Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Well, then let's go and, and talk about. Um, foods to avoid. Um, and if you can explain kind of the levels of diet, um and how that all works, because I, I think most of I think most people are probably like me, they don't have a clue of what the terms yes. mean.
0: So Okay. Well this is called the National Dysphagia Diet. Uh level four is very easy. Level four is anything and everything. No restrictions. Level one is very easy. And that's pureed, homogenous, and cohesive food. If you think of pudding, that would be the best way to describe it. No coarse textures, no raw fruit or vegetables, no nuts. Um, Any foods that require a bolus formation or a lot of chewing are excluded. So that's the pure pureed level one. That's the lowest, lowest level. Now, as we move up, Dysphagia 2 and 3 are a little bit more difficult to discern. So if we look at level 2, these are foods that are moist, soft textured, and easily formed into a bolus or a ball. Ground meats are okay. Minced meats that are very, very tiny, cut into one-quarter inch pieces, are okay. As long as they have gravy. And, and they're moist. And then level three we call mechanical soft. I think they've changed the term to mechanically altered. And I think this is the trickiest one. If you think of um, a potato, that would be a mashed potato would be okay. Um, there are a lot of items on this, on this level that you could have but things shouldn't be crunchy you shouldn't have any nuts you shouldn't have any seeds you shouldn't have any skin skin of fruit and it shouldn't be chewy so an understanding of the uh, what's allowed on the diet as well as the restrictions is very important and i know when i'm trying to lose weight i try not to worry about what's not on my diet I say this is what I'm eating I try and be good I count how many days <laughs> I could stay on that diet <laughs> and then there'll be one day that I go off and the goal is to get back on it and, and if you're if you strayed from the path mm-hmm. but understanding these diet textures is important but there's another piece to it there's the liquid consistency so thin is any regular liquid coffee Water, pop. Nectar thick is interesting because nectar thick, if you pick up the spoon, it will drip off in little drips. Then there's honey thick, and when it comes off the spoon, it will form a little bit of a mound. And pudding thick, you can put the spoon in it, and the spoon will stand up. So, somebody could be on a regular diet but be on honey thick liquids. So, it's different for different kinds of swallowing problems.
1: Wow. I had no idea there were so many levels and so many terms um, regarding all of this. So, that was great to clarify. Um, (laughs) Very, very helpful. Is there a way that people can kind of get like a a resource list of of those levels from you or a direction that they can go?
0: Um, Yes. um, mm -hmm. On on the dysphagia diet uh, website, which I'm listing in the reference sheet, there's also a list that talks about how to get the dysphagia diet. So that, that is on there. I think it's www.eatright.com, but I, I could be mistaken. I don't have it in front of me now. Okay. But um, it's, it's really important to know that. It's important to confer with your speech and swallowing therapist and co- to confer with the dietitian, to confer with the doctor. Um, this is what, what we do. We work as a team and i frequently get calls from dietitians about a patient wants to eat something and would i recommend it on that diet or sometimes in therapy what i will be doing i will be trying a little bit of the next level to see how they tolerate it we don't we don't change the order but in therapy, we're allowed to see how they do with some variations, whereas we don't recommend that to the family members or the nursing home staff.
1: Okay, but that's what therapy
0: I, is all about.
1: Okay. How now can I they? I put ha- in, I put in the Eat Right, um, and it was a .dot org, and that yes. brought me to the Academy of Nutrition and, and Dietetics. Is that the site mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would have that? Mhm. Okay, so good. it's eat right .dot org. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that while we had that had that going. So, um, great. Well, that's good. I want to also just say if, if anyone has any questions out there, we would love to hear from you. So feel free to type in the chat box or call 714-364-4754. Again, that's 714-364-4757. <clears throat> So, well, let's go ahead and continue here because you're just filled with all kinds of good information. Um, did you want to talk about some foods to avoid, or do you feel like you've already kind of touched base on some of that?
0: Um, I talked about that, but what I would like to talk about is going to people's houses and being offered candy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. Food is a celebration. We celebrate. We celebrate with food for different occasions. And as the caretaker, whether an adult child or a spouse, you have to be a swallowing ambassador. You have to be polite and tactful when you're eating at a neighbor's house, at a good friend's house, at an extended family member's house, because in many families food is love. And if somebody has cooked something for you and you don't eat it, then they feel disappointed. So like a restaurant, you have to plan ahead. Explain the swallowing safety rules in simple terms clearly, frequently, matter-of-factly. Use a card. That was a great suggestion. Tell them why. Make sure that the things that they... the the loved one with dementia shouldn't be eating is not right in front of them. I've known uh people who are on patients who are on restricted free water and there are some water protocols under the speech pathologist's care that we we can do with some patients, but I've known people who try and cheat, and on this diet, it's not just about losing a couple of pounds. It's about getting, in some cases, getting aspiration pneumonia and winding up in the hospital again. So we need to monitor people so that they don't, don't cheat. Let's talk about candy cake and ice cream. <laughs> again, the celebra- celebratory foods. Now, ice cream might look kind of, kind of solid, but really it's liquid soon as it goes into your mouth, it melts, and then it's liquid. So if you're on a restricted thin liquid diet, that's not going to work for you. But Hormel came up with a wonderful alternative, and I've seen a lot of my patients enjoy this. It's called Magic Cup. Magic Cup looks like ice cream. I think it comes in five flavors now. Um, I I've seen the vanilla and chocolate, but I think it also has an orange creamsicle kind of flavor, a raspberry flavor, and it's a frozen dessert. It's pudding-like consistency. What we'll do sometimes is put it in the microwave for a couple of seconds so it's not so really hard. But people on restricted liquid, thin, um, restricted thin liquids diets have been enjoying this. Sherbert, nothing, Sherbert is thin, mm-hmm. so that's, that's not good. Um, cake might be okay for level three, but make sure there are no nuts in it. Sprinkles could be a problem. Whipped cream would be diff- difficult for someone on thin liquids, but if you think about a lemon meringue pie, that meringue is a perfect texture. The meringue and... The lemon filling is a perfect texture, but not a Jello pie, not Jello pie with fruit pieces, as we talked about before. You know, if somebody's offered a candy from a box of candy, we know. But, but Forrest Gump life is a box of chocolate. You never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. In this case, we don't. We don't want to. Find out that the middle of the candy was coconut, which is very difficult for somebody on a puree diet to tolerate, because there are all those little pieces that they might not feel in their throat. So I would suggest little squares of chocolate. I know Ghirardelli has little little squares, not a big fat like Dove bar is really is has thick pieces, but very thin uh, piece of chocolate because. Chocolate is going to pretty much melt. It's not really thin, but I think that's the best alternative rather than um, taking a chance with a box of candy.
1: Okay. Well, that you know, and you think of how many times you get that assorted box of candy and you just pass it around, and you t- you know, you look at it and you try to think what's inside, but that's
0: just not mm-hmm. a safe thing to do. Yep. The nut so, ones are not safe either. Mhm
1: but yeah. you don't know until you get it.
0: And then, then they start taking a bite out of each one. You don't want yep. to do that either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, what are some some resources for enjoying social foods in kind of different forms and different textures? You had mentioned Hormel. Um, are there some others? And can you get that in the
0: grocery store? Or is that something you have to specially order? Or? I it, it is something you have to specially order. They, you could look at their website. I believe it's com. And I went to a conference in Duluth last month, and I met somebody who has a company in Superior, Wisconsin, and he creates purees in cans. And I tasted all his different uh, offerings, and they were wonderful. And this is something that I encourage every family member to do. Taste that pureed food in front of your family member. Show them that it's delicious, that you like it. If you don't, act because they will take cues from you. If a a nursing assistant says, oh, that puree is awful, that's creating a preset disposition about how a person is going to eat. And so... It, you know, this just dawned on me recently to have to get some a little puree from the kitchen in a little tiny cup and sit there and eat it with my eat it with my patience so that they see me eating it.
1: You know, I I just went to Hormel just to check out the website here, and mm-hmm. you can actually get a lot of these products through Walgreens carries them.
0: Very good. And now so, this is new. I think in the last year or so, there has been much more available to the general public.
1: Yeah, so that's nice. And it'd be, if you put in Hormel Labs um, and Google it, it'll go to HormelHealthLabs.com, dot com, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and um, that's actually the site. But um, and they have a big thing here, like I said, with with Walgreens, or you can go to their product um, support or where to buy. Um, but the great. site is really quite easy to maneuver, which is very refreshing. <laughs> so that's great. That's,
0: that's great. wonderful.
1: Thank you for sharing that resource.
0: You're welcome.
1: Um, are there are there others as well? Or are they kind I, of...
0: Uh... I think there are a few others that I have on the list. I don't have my list right in front of me. But um, this dysphagia diet also has a lot of different products, and they have a video that's available. And that is an excellent video showing you the anatomy and physiology of what happens when you swallow. My my only, um, my only criticism of it is they, they call it dysphagia and not dysphagia. So be aware of that difference if you're looking at this but um it's called the dysphagia diet training series and the neat thing about it is it also comes in spanish
1: oh that's wonderful so
0: that's really fantastic now here's another resource i found when i was doing my shopping trader joe's has this really wonderful fruit sauce in a little squeeze container. It kind of looks like space food. And I think it was developed for kids to take healthier lunches. Hmm. But uh, I, I bought some and I tried them. They have apple banana. They have a few different kinds. And I'm going to write to Trader Joe's to make sure that, that people in the, um, in the professional community who work with people with swallowing difficulties know about this product because it's perfect perfect to put in your bag and take with you, Um, have in the car. I mean, that's really, really nice. And it's very, very pure puree without any stems, without any seeds, without any skin. So I was really excited when I found that.
1: And that, again, was at Trader Joe's, and it was called what?
0: It's called
1: Fruit Sauce
0: Crushers. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Um, And... I was just going to say <laughs> I found out about it in their in their circular. They they sent they have a very creative circular that they send out and I ran to the store to see what it was because I said I think this would be good for my patients. Great.
1: Well, we're glad that you're out there checking things out as they as they cross you mm-hmm. um and sharing them with with us here. Are there some alternatives um if thick liquids are rejected, that people should consider?
0: Oh, that's that's sometimes a a big problem, Um, especially the coffee. Now, there are some juices, and I know Hormel puts out some apple juice, orange juice, and cranberry juice, and the cranberry juice is actually quite refreshing. I think that's a favorite. But what I like to think about is what is naturally in that pureed form. And most of us will have a very nice pureed soup. I know I had a squash soup, uh, butternut squash soup that was just lovely. It was thick and it was pretty much a puree. So if you can offer something to a patient that's more soup like a thick soup. You can take a vegetable soup and you can puree it. And uh we want to make sure we don't have any stringy chunks of celery. We want to make sure we don't have any tomato peels. But um a soup think about the gazpacho soup. That's the ultimate salad soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again making sure that there are no uh, chunks, no hard pieces, and I think people will tolerate a soup much more if they're very sensitive that they don't like purees. Mhm.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, now you had talked about the importance too of oral care, and oh yes. Why is that so important, especially with a with a someone with dementia um, and, and dysphagia?
0: Well, I think about the sequence of somebody, let's say, um, at a nursing care facility, short term care center, having lunch and then going to lay down. If they have swallowing difficulties, if they're pocketing food in the side of their cheeks and they lay down, that food could be susceptible, the windpipe would be susceptible for that food falling back there if they don't have strong automatic control of their muscles. So it's essential that um the somebody with dysphagia has very thorough oral care and if they can't do it themselves, the caregiver really has to take the time to do good oral care. Not just brushing the teeth, but using that little toothset and making sure that there's nothing in the sides or around pocketed in the cheeks. It's very, very important.
1: Okay. Well that that makes sense. And I don't know how many, you know, actually get their teeth brushed or their mouth rinsed out after a meal, um, realistically or not, but that's something as family that we can do and that we can also request um, right to be done. So right.
0: It's it's par it's part of my recommendations, my prescription for swallowing follow through. Okay. Okay.
1: Now, why do some people have difficulty talking and eating? Um, And we we kind of talked about that a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit, uh, go into that in a little bit more detail as to why that can be so complicated for them?
0: Yes, and I'll I'll give you a practical example. Have you ever thought of a time when you were at a restaurant or at a party laughing and talking and then you took a sip of something or even you were thinking about saying something and you started really coughing?
1: Oh, yeah, down the wrong pipe, yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, (laughs) you got it. That's what we're talking about because if that epiglottis isn't doing its job if it's weak if the if the nerves are not firing in that automatic sequential way then the epiglottis might be up instead of down when you're taking that sip because your brain is sending mixed signals to that part of your anatomy so one signal is for the epiglottis to close and we don't volitionally say epiglottis close it doesn't happen like that it's an automatic function and so your brain is giving mixed signals and then you wind up coughing and you um when th- when this happens if you have normal functioning of of the vocal co- of the larynx and of the muscles in the back of the throat you'll cough for a few minutes and then you'll regain you'll regain your your composure and your breathing and, and you'll be fine but if you don't have that fine motor coordination it could be very very uh very, very difficult, and you could get food in the trachea or or liquids, and we don't want that, but I had two situations happen to me regarding um swallowing or i wouldn't call it go as far as to say choking, but I was in Orlando getting ready to do a um, a seminar, and I was sitting with three speech pathologists and I was going to say something, and I started sputtering and coughing, and I was calm because I knew I had three speech pathologists sitting with me, and they knew what to do. So I just mm-hmm. waited, and I was, I was okay. But the next situation, which happened about three years later, really scared me, but I used a technique that helped me. I was at, in fact, I was at the restaurant where you and I met <laughs> the last time, the Good Earth, which is a wonderful restaurant. But what happened was they um, put out the sauce, and I thought it was a sweet and sour sauce. So I dipped my piece of chicken into a big bunch of sauce, and I took a bite, and I didn't know it was very hot Thai sauce. Oh, and I felt, <laughs> well, yeah. And I think, um the regular waitress didn't put it down, or um there was some miscommunication about what the sauce was, mm-hmm. and my throat started to swell, and I couldn't talk for about five minutes, and I used a yoga breathing technique, and people you know were asking me how I was, but I couldn't talk. I gave hand signals that I was okay and just wait. But I breathed through my nose, and I did it for quite a few minutes until I was able to talk. Now, I used, this wasn't even from my my bag of tricks as a speech pathologist. This was from my yoga class. But I knew what to do, and I didn't panic. And what happens in a situation like this is the person starts to panic, and that makes it worse. Mm -hmm. So it can happen to anyone.
1: Yep, and it does all the time. Mm -hmm. It does all the time, definitely. Well, interesting. So you've also um, alluded to medications can affect swallowing. Can you touch base on, on that for us as well?
0: Yes, and I know we only have a short time. That in itself would be a full seminar. But Peter Johnson in Florida is a speech pathologist who I believe he works with um, Select, and he's also a professor at Southeastern Nova University. I took a course with him in Toronto about drugs and dysphagia, and this opened my eyes to how many different symptoms can arise based on medications, based on mixing of medications. And he wrote a book. Um, I don't think I have that book on my list, but I can send it to you about okay. drugs and, and dysphagia. This is so important it is essential. There are so many there are many drugs that create dry mouth. If we don't have saliva, it's difficult to get food to go back. Antihistamines create dry mouth. Antidepressants create an unpleasant taste. With anticonvulsants sometimes there's a loss of taste. A medication like Ativan takes away taste. It, sometimes there's a loss of interest in eating. There's a medication, Risperdal, where it creates some laryngeal dysphagia in the the back of the throat. There's a, a difficulty in swallowing, and chronic use can create more severe problems. So here's the, here's the, um, here's the reference. L.L. L. Carl, C-A-R-L, mm-hmm. and Peter Johnson, drugs and dysphagia. How Medication Affects Swallowing and Eating. And it's a little book, but it has a lot of information, and it's more for the professional than the layperson. But every speech pathologist should know about this, every nursing home, nursing care facility, assisted living. This should be a book that is in everyone's desk drawer who works with people with dementia people with Alzheimer's people with swallowing problems and I saw I I believe it was in prevention magazine they sent me something and it was a an ad for one of their books and it said what is one of the most common problems of swallowing disorders temporary swallowing disorders and it turned out to be different medications. Hmm. So more people are, know, are, are learning about this. And, you know, some of, some of the drugs related to uh, preventing osteoporosis might create some swallowing problems. I know Sally Fields did an ad for Boniva, and that's a drug that's being looked at. It needs to be taken with a lot of water. And it should not be taken at night, because the fear is that that um, pill might be might get lodged in your throat. And if it's in that spot for a long time, it's not it's not healthy. Even if iron pills get stuck, if it's stuck in your esophagus, that's really uh, a very difficult situation. Oh. Um, let's see. Let's talk about. Let's talk about taking pills in addition to the side effects. Sometimes a pill is too big, and it's really great if you can talk to the doctor or the pharmacist to find out if there's a liquid version, if you're allowed to have thin liquids, but think about those liquids. It's more like the honey consistency. Uh, So that's an idea. Um, Peter Johnson also talked about being very careful when you split pills because when you split pills there could be a rough edge and if there's a if you're having a problem with feeling where that pill is or it doesn't go all the way down that could create some striations inside inside your esophagus so you might want to think about doing a little filing of those pills making sure that there are not rough edges
1: well that's interesting i never would have thought of that cuz half the time when i would Try to you know cut a pill in half, and I don't care if I use the slicer and dicer. If I just use the knife, and they would crumble. I mean, and they they didn't slice in half if they were scored or not. And I, as a caregiver, I just found that so frustrating um, to try to deal with. But I, I never would have even thought that a a piece that you know that rough edge of a of a small pill could make a difference. But it easily could. So thank you for fish well, especially- out
0: especially if it's a big pill. And mm-hmm. there are pill crushers. There are mm-hmm. pill cutters, by the way. So that's so that's good to know. But, you know, how many pills are given at the same time? Think about that. I saw a patient recently who was taking about 12 pills. And he took them in sequence, and actually he did quite well until one point, until after about the eighth pill, you know, the nurse had given it to him, and I wanted to see how he did. So after the eighth pill, I saw he was struggling a little bit more with getting it down, and I realized that he was getting to the bottom of the thickened liquid in his cup, and thick liquid is really good for getting those pills down. Thick liquid and the other thing is yogurt. And so he was getting to the bottom, and he was taking smaller and smaller sips. So what I did was I held, I held his elbow slightly so he could bring his hand up closer to his mouth, and I tipped the cup. Sometimes we have special cups that have a cutout so you can tip the cup and not tip your head back because we don't want people to tip their head back because that changes the angle of the swallow and we, we don't want that to happen.
1: Okay, okay. Well, these are just all so helpful. I mean, it's loaded with lots of great, great information here. Um, now, I'd like to talk about um, modifying textures of ethnic foods too, because, um, you know, it's just not the American food that we all eat, and there, there's so many different types of food out there. So, can we talk about some of the different cultures and, and how you can work with that as
0: well? Sure. If your family is Italian, you're going to want to have spaghetti at most of your meals. But I might recommend that you go, if you're having some swallowing problems, go with macaroni and sauce or macaroni and cheese because you don't have those stringy pieces that might get caught, especially if it's done al dente. And I spoke before a little bit about how with a pastry tube you can create some, some pasta shape. So, so that's one thing to do. Think about Chinese food. Um so much of Chinese food is stir fry and those little chunks of celery with little strings in it or pea pods with strings in it is not conducive to a level a level 2 or a level 3 diet. But the good thing about Chinese food is tofu. Tofu is a perfect food. It's soft, it's easy to digest. Maybe it would need to be prepared a different way. Maybe not fried, but perhaps boiled. Um, so tofu is a really wonderful food. Um, some Eastern European dishes. There's a, a dish called kasha varnishkas, which is buckwheat groats. I would never recommend that for somebody who is on level two or level three. And sometimes rice is a problem, too. I've had a lot of discussions with people about rice. If it's done with very separated kernels, uh, separated pieces, that could get stuck if somebody doesn't have good muscle control. But if it's really mushy and soft and can be mashed, that would work out well. And and rice is a staple in many different ethnic food diets. So you have to have an understanding of what people's usual foods are that they enjoy, that are traditional, when holidays come around, what is usually served, and which ones you can adapt and which ones you just have to put on the no-way list. -hmm. It's it's difficult because people want to follow their traditions, and eating is part of it.
1: Okay, now do you know? I think of spices like curry and things like that. Do they come into play with someone who has a swallowing problem, or is it just my throat that seems to tighten up
0: when I get some of those hot things? You know, it does. It's a very good question because sometimes if people are very used to spices. It's not a problem. Sometimes they're super sensitive to spices if they've had some kind of neurological injury or swallowing problem. Um, But in addition to that, something that I'd like to mention about spices is you don't want spices that are little pieces. And the one that I have in mind is rosemary. Rosemary is like little needles. And rosemary has has very good health properties, except really mash it up very fine. It should be a fine powder. Um, Never use that. If you put a piece of parsley on a dish for a garni, uh, you don't want somebody with a swallowing problem to grab that piece of parsley and put it in his or her mouth if they can't handle chewing or swallowing. And there was one time when I was—I uh, did some music. I'm an auto harp player. I did some music at a nursing facility, and I, I was glad that I was aware of what was going on. One of the residents picked up m- my little white bag. It looked like a sandwich bag, and she was gonna—she thought it was a snack, and she was gonna eat it. And I grabbed her—I grabbed her hand just in time because that was where I had my auto harp picks. Oh. And sometimes people will think something is food and try and eat it, and, and that's that's part of, of their cognitive problem. But we have to be very aware of what's in the environment and, and make sure that um, people are not near things they shouldn't have.
1: Okay. That's, well, and that makes a lot of sense, especially when we're dealing with people with dementia. You just mm-hmm. never, never quite know... Um, in closing, um, what you know, what's important for family members to really remember when trying to provide, you know, a, a nice, safe environment um, for swallowing for a loved one, um, you know, and, and still be respectful to them?
0: Sure, sure. Well, make sure you get a consultation if there are swallowing problems from the speech and swallowing therapist, include the doctor, get a good overall view of how they're doing and how members of the team can help you. And I was thinking of that book, The Seven Habits of Effective People. So this morning I made up a list, The Seven Habits of Good Swallowing. Number one, relax and think positively. If you think, I hate this. If you think, I'm distracted by this. I'm worried about this. What is this person going to do? It creates difficulty focusing. So focus, relax, and think positive. For the caretaker, make sure that the patient or your loved one is in an upright position when they're eating. It's so important. Let gravity help. The third one is people want to be as independent as possible. And if they can feed themselves, that's great. If you feed them, Make sure they're getting their lips involved right away because the swallow begins with the lips. I've noticed this for many years. If uh, somebody is just pouring the food into the mouth without the lips getting going, a step is missing. And remember to encourage them to take small sips. You don't want to chug a lug the liquid, maybe... They can have thin liquids, but if they're chug-a-lugging and having too much, that's a problem. And you might even want to find some small spoons. Cub has these lovely, I guess they're demitasse spoons. If they can bring the food to their mouth and they have a small spoon, it puts less in their mouth, which is what you want to do. Remember, they have to remember to move their tongue and you might need to give them some verbal guidance or show them what to do. Don't feel embarrassed if you have to sit there pretending you're chewing like a cow. That modeling is going to be great for the right person at the right level. Sometimes we encourage people to swallow two times, especially for medication. If they don't get it down the first time, we want to wash it down and make sure they're doing a a second swallow. And alternating liquids and solids and know your loved ones and their likes and dislikes that's the benefit of the family member you've known them for years you know what they enjoy and if they've enjoyed uh, lobster and steak in their lives at fine restaurants and they can't eat that now if you could find a way to create a, a lobster soup or some sirloin some chopped Sirloin with lots of gravy. You're doing, you you know that they're going to enjoy it. And we talked about the enjoyment of food, and that's one of the pieces that has have been missing. But you know, I talked about my dad before, and I didn't say anything about my mom. When my mom died, she died of a heart attack, and she died very quickly but she also had gastroesophageal reflux disease and she just called it acid reflux and she didn't know that the difference between the heart attack symptoms and the GERD symptoms and I didn't I didn't know at this time we when we got that call she was already gone so there was nothing I could do at that point but I recently went to a seminar by a speech pathologist in St. Cloud, and his name is Cameron Littlefield, and he talked about new research that's being done on gastroesophageal reflux disease. And if that's an issue in your family, ask your doctor or your speech pathologist about it. So I talked about my dad having his last Thanksgiving dinner with us. He ate well. He was joking around. He was just, he never lost his sweet personality. He called himself a mild-mannered pussycat. Well, Thanksgiving was Thursday. By Sunday, I saw that he was forgetting how to chew. I moved his diet to puree, and the next day he went into the hospital. When he got into the hospital, I was the only one who could feed him. And what I did was I massaged the muscles of his face. I stimulated his lips with some acupressure, and he was eating for me. And at that point, he was very proud that I used all my education and experience to give him the pleasure of eating, in his final days. And I remember the last time I fed him thinking that he would just perk up just like he did three other times and then we found out the next day that he was gone. But, you know, I don't want to end on a sad note. I want to end on a positive note. And I want to tell you about a client that I had That a pretty amazing thing happened based on teamwork and a very smart physician. This was a woman whose family had thought, was called in to see her for the last time three times. They were trying to decide if they were going to go to heroic measures and put in a feeding tube. And again, that's a whole other discussion. end-of-life decisions but they were trying to decide are they going to put in a feeding tube and what were her chances of surviving this physician was so smart she went to everybody on the team the nursing assistant the physical therapist the occupational therapist me the family and she got a consensus and this was the consensus The consensus was that they were going to call me in to do swallowing therapy with her twice a day for two weeks to see if that made a difference. And they decided they didn't want heroic measures, that they were not going to put in a feeding tube. Well, not only did she survive for those two weeks or two months, she lived for a whole year. Wow. And that was good teamwork. And we took the patients and the families um interests in mind and she was and she was able to have a year of living and eating. And so
1: that's incredible.
0: It it is. And so what we have to do is we have to be creative within the limits of food textures that people have. We might not be creating memories, but small moments of enjoyment. And I'll go into my Julia Child's voice, and here's a quote from Julia to end. She said, Moderation, small helpings, sample a bit of everything... These are the secrets of happiness and good health. And I add, swallow well and enjoy the experience. Bon appetit.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for all the great information and time that you spent with us today, Marlene. I really, really do appreciate it very, very much. And um, I will be posting a an article on the blog, and we can go ahead and get those resource uh, information and stuff out to people. Probably won't get that done until later tonight or tomorrow, realistically, with my schedule. But, again, thank you so much for your time. How do people get a hold of you,
0: Marlene? Uh, They could call me at 651-699-9233, 651-699-9233, or they can send me an email at fcom e is in Edward t is in Tom h is in Harry c o m at winternet dot com mm-hmm. and I'm going to be adding a, a division to my company called Swallow Well and it's going to be the dysphagia consultation uh, unit so hopefully you'll be hearing more about that as Time goes on Wonderful And
1: I, I love the term Swallowologist too <laughs> It's easy to remember And it kind of makes you smile and uh, When it can be a difficult time And I think, I think humor is always a good thing So again, thank you so much For your time today I do want to thank our listeners For um, staying with us And again, feel free to push this show out um, By liking us or tweeting about it There's a lot of good information here and uh, we, will, we will post more links for you uh, to get a hold of Marlene as well. We do have some upcoming shows tomorrow, actually. I'm going to have Mary McGrath and Angela Taylor with us, and we're going to talk about Louie body, um, living, loving, and laughing um, through the disease. And then on the 7th of June, I'm going to have Bailey with us, and she's a teenager who's going to talk about her story with life with a parent with dementia. Her dad was diagnosed when she was 13 years old, and she's now in high school, and what she is doing to make a difference in how how dementia has affected her life. And then on June 14th, Lisa Snyder from California will be with us, and she's going to be talking about living your best in the early stages um, with the disease. And then on June 27th, we will be talking with Holly Eburn from Canada, and she's going to be talking about frontal temporal um, lobe dementia. So I want to thank everyone again for being with us. And again, if you think you might have a story to tell or some information you'd like to share, please get a hold of me because you may easily be one of our future guests here. As always, I want to remind you to focus on the three simple things that your memory chip teaches you. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? Until the next time, God bless, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith.
0: It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.